Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Hey everybody, welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. Today, I am so honored to be sitting here with Gregory McGuire. He is the author of the incredible popular books of the Wicked Years series. I'm sure you guys know all about Wicked, the life and times of the Wicked Witch of the West, which inspired the musical. But he's also the author of several children's books, including What the Dickens, a New York Times bestseller, and Egg and Spoon, a New York Times book review notable children's book of the year. Gregory McGuire lives outside of Boston, and I am hugging <laughs> your latest. Everyone, we are going to be talking about Crest Watercrest today. Ah, Gregory, how many times has have I just stopped to like hug your book, but then while I'm reading, your book hugs me back. Oh, well, I'm so glad of that. And first, I'll say good morning. Good Jen. morning. And good, morning. <laughs> good morning to all your listeners. And good morning, Cress. I hope I'm glad you found your way into yes. Jen's studio. Uh, it's, um, it is a book that I hoped would do exactly that. I wanted it to be a really welcoming book. And I wanted it also to be devoid of some of the literary effects for which I'm sometimes known, like being turgid, being long, being complicated, being a little sour, uh, being uh, not entirely clear about what I mean in, in my subtle prose. All of those things are values that I aspire to in most books. But for this book, I said, I, I want to go for something cleaner, clearer, and, and more direct so that I don't leave anybody out. I want everybody who opens the front door of the front cover of that book to find himself or herself at home in its pages. And you so met that goal with 100% accuracy. You have an A plus on your test because I will say to you that this book is a hard book, but life is hard. This book has so many pieces of a puzzle of a life story that is grief that is starting over that is I mean so much is there it is layered but it is clear it is profound and deep but it is direct and so with finding 
that balance? How did you accomplish such a difficult task? Because when I say you go very profound and deep, but you're also direct, how did you manage that? Like, what was that process for writing for you? That's a hard process for me because there, I, I've heard it explained to me, and I think it's true that there are several ways to construct a story or novel, let me say, which is a different thing than a story. Uh, and, and one can analogize with the notion of sculpture, I was told, and this was about 40 years ago. There are sculptures that are built up by what might be called the daub method, where you take clay and you keep adding clay and molding it and, and adding, adding, adding until you have the form that you want. And there are other sculptures that, that begin with a block of marble from which with your ads and your chisel and your hammers, you cut away, you cut away until the perfect form that is living already in that block of marble can be revealed. Normally, I think my method of constructing a story is the clay method, it's the pottery method, it's the, it's the kids with Play-Doh method, you know? <laughs> oh, I found this old tub of yellow. It was it rolled under the sofa, it's been there since last Easter. I think if we just, you know, heat it up in the microwave for 10 seconds, we can restore its plasticity and we can use it again. I like to use parts. I like to add things in. I like for the worlds of my adult novels, particularly, but also some of my children's novels, to be dense and complex and infinitely changing. But Crest Watercrest came to me as a single idea. And I put the single idea in the middle of my writing mind, as it were. And then I set to work with my chisels to take away everything that wasn't going to be in support of the, of the main idea. Wow. And I'll tell you what the main idea is. And I don't think it'll give away anything. But Jen, if I may, before I do that, so that I'm not talking too obscurely to your uh, audience, I might say, let me give you a two sentence precy of the novel so people know what I'm talking about. Cress Watercress is the name of a rabbit. She lives in the first chapter of the book with her mother and her baby brother Kip in a warren like most rabbits and they have to leave the Warren because the fourth member of the family, Papa Rabbit, went out to forage a few nights ago and never returned. The Mama Rabbit cannot take care of her children and also take care of the family food needs living alone. And so they have to give up their private Warren, which has three bedrooms and a private back door and a private carrot patch, a very, very soigné. Uh, and they have to move into a somewhat down market apartment tree. And it's not, it's a, it's a dead tree and it's kind of rotting. And they move into a one room basement flat, as it were, windowless even, uh, where th their station is very much uh, depleted from what they'd known so far or what Cress had known so far. She's a very young rabbit. Uh, the book is about the family's efforts to integrate in a new society that is not the rabbit population they're used to, but is all kinds of other animal creatures, 
which present other challenges and other opportunities. So the novel is about endurance and about change. But it does start with a moment of, I would say fear, because when you're little and you move from your home, you don't, you don't know what the world looks like beyond the, the backyard fence. And it's scary to be out there. And it's scary for Chris. So that's what the story is about. That is, that's what the plot is about. But when I talk about having a marble in the middle of my writing mind or in the middle of my desk and saying, I need to carve a way to reveal the main concept that, that suggested to me this story, the story is carrying the concept, not the other way around. The concept isn't carrying the story, the story carries the concept. And here's the concept. I was driving home from a conference in Vermont one year, about four years ago, I think, back when we had conferences. <laughs> Remember yeah. those days? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I had been talking with a, a new friend who liked to draw animals in clothes. And I said, your work is great. I wish I wrote stories like that, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> on the way home, I thought, if I did, what would I do? Now, as it turns out, the person to whom I was speaking did not end up being the illustrator of this book. Uh, he's a wonderful illustrator, and so was the so was the illustrator who was chosen. Uh, love David. David. Yes, love. Absolutely wonderful. They had they have different strengths, different skills, and David has done a wonderful job. But so would the other this other guy have done if he had been the one to uh, come on board. But as I was driving, several things were going on in my head, and I'll I'll try to make this. Shorter than one of my adult novels. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I yeah, love well, the origin story. <laughs> well, I I know a lot of young people, as you do, Jen. You have young people in the house, or you've had them in the house until recently. And anybody who has spent a life living in and near and around young people and remembers being young himself or herself knows that there are moments of crisis that come up in childhood from which when one is in them, the way out is invisible. The way out is impossible to imagine and impossible therefore to head toward. Uh, when we first come upon a sense of great loss or grief when we're young and it hits us on the forehead, on the shoulders, in our dreams, in our back, in our spirits, we don't know we're ever going to survive. We think this might be our own death because it is so heavy. We can't get there. But with luck, and unless we're, we're extremely unfortunate and don't have the goods to survive, we do survive. People help us, we grow, our, our inner systems help us, uh, grace and art all help us, and we survive. Uh, what I was thinking in the cars I was driving down is that one young person I knew was going through a hard time, but was too old for the application of a story to help. And I thought, I can't, I can't go to the library. I can't go to the teen room and take a book out that will say, someday this will all be better because this particular child wasn't a reader. And what, I, what do I know about books? I'm a book person. And I began to think, I wish there had been something 
had, that had been given this child 10 years ago that might've said what I need, what I would like to say now. And then I thought, and I thought some more and I thought, wow, there, 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 there's this, there's a stream of, of uh, traditions and, and uh, cultural moments in, in book writing. And for a while in the late seventies and eighties, particularly there was this concept of bibliotherapy. If you have a problem or if your teen or your middle school kid or your grade school kid has a problem, even your kindergarten kid, will I, will I be lonely at kindergarten? Well, here's a book called, Will I Find a Friend? You know, you, yes. you, you apply the nearest book like a mustard plaster to the wound or like a Band-Aid, uh, like a Band-Aid with dinosaurs on it. And you say, yes, it will all be all right. And the book can be consoling, it very often is, but it doesn't solve the problem. It just means you're not alone. And the problem I had was that one thing few of those books or none of them ever say is, yes, you will survive this problem, but, but. it will come back. Having experienced grief once does not mean you will never experience it again. And the and wave, that, the wave of grief, you use that as no. a wave. Yes, as a wave of grief. And the same thing with loss and with loneliness. You may find your best friend in fourth grade. That doesn't mean you're never going to be lonely again in your life. What you do, what you need to do is, is eventually to realize I can survive loneliness. And I know that feelings that I have come in waves. And, and, and that, so I'm that, hugging again <laughs> because you do that not only with the waves, but with the moon. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. give it a tangible, a reachable thing, an understanding for a child, but you also do it with hide and seek. So that's what I say when you layer, you layer deep, but direct. Yes. Ah. Well, anybody, anybody listening for the first, uh, you know, 15 minutes of this would say, boy, that sounds like a heavy lift. I'm going to stay that's, away from that. No, but that it, sounds like a book we all need on our shelves. And we all need to read aloud with families, with classrooms. This is a classroom read. Yeah. This is, this is a, a district-wide read. This is something that a child does need 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And let's face it, we have been stuck for two years in grief and loss, in separation, and the young people don't know that they're gonna come out of it. And, but the thing is, in my skill set as a writer, I also can be swift and funny. And oh, so, yes. so for the, in the interest of passing along what I think of as a, a message I really think is important, I do it with a set of comical characters and droll situations and wordplay that moves, I hope, very fast. So you don't know you're getting, you don't know you're getting the message. You know you're getting an animal adventure story. And the and message will, will seep up from below, will seep up from below ground and it will float you without you even needing to name it. 
And then you're going to want to read it again. And then you're going to go back and you're going to want to read it again. Uh, Just like when you've read Stuart Little or The Wind in the Willows, you're going to go back and you're going to read that one again to your child when, you know, when the time is right. You can read that one again to your child. (laughs) And this is the type of book that hits you, even as an adult. So all of the adults out there who love children's books as much as I do, like I love children's books. And when there was a line, my, okay, my favorite line, then when Chris was asked, her family was asked, where are you from? I am from yesterday. Uh, I am from yesterday. uh, That is going to stay with me forever. Oh my gosh. I I didn't even remember that line. uh, I I, I was trying to guess three or four things I thought you might say. I didn't guess that one. Oh, I'm so uh, glad. And that's the thing about the beauty of how books that are crafted in this way, where you have to stop and read them out loud to your husband because they're funny. And you have to say, okay, Manny just finished playing poker with his wife. (laughs) (laughs) I got to read this part out loud. And so then I'm telling my 20 year old son, next time he comes through the room, because he's home for the weekend from the dorm. And I'm reading this part to him and he's laughing. And I, and then I reach a page and I say, look at the picture. Look at the, the illustrations, just the safety of animal speech. All of it is such a safe place to explore the thoughts of what is next. Today might not have been a good day, but tomorrow could be good enough. Wow. Just Gregory, the (laughs) word choice, you know, when we talk, you, you talked about it at the beginning, one of your goals of this book was, you know, the directness to be clear, to make sure that it's there, that it's not something hidden, A, a family reading this, a child, a teacher reading this, when they get to the point where, well, this isn't fair. Yeah. You don't beat around the bush with that. You just say, you know, it's, it's just not, it, it is not fair. Yeah. Let's go ahead and name this what it is. Right. Right. But then does that mean we stop or does that mean we survive? Does that mean we stop or does that mean we find ways to create our new way? Because this is a new way. We got to deal with this. And then how is that going to be? And then you get pushback again, emotional pushback. Right. And it's like you're authentically telling emotions of Chris in all of these different moments but you tie her in together uh, she's not a bunny anymore yeah <laughs> she's a child she's a child like what was it like when you started thinking of all so you you were giving your 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 idea your your slab of marble to think about Al and Manny and nasty nasty and the squirrel family, like the whole community. How did all of that come to you? Did it come to you in waves or did you just see them there? It mostly came to me in waves, but there are a few, a few like sub, um, you know, asterisk or, or uh, <laughs> sorry, Tunk the honey bear oh. uh, comes from, uh, you know, I have three children, they're all adopted. Uh, they're all pretty much grown up now. They're about the age of yours, uh, your oldest, uh, uh, or your your college kid. I mean, um, and uh, 
one of my kids, when he was about two, he was playing with a stuffed animal and he said the word tunk. And I loved that word. And I started using it all the time. And sometimes I even called it to me, hey there, tunk. And he would never respond and he never used it again. But that <laughs> went in my pocket. I just loved the sound of it, tunk, tunk. It's like, like a pebble going in the stream, tunk. <laughs> so that's and where that came from. And Tuck found his way in a delightful way, but also an important part of the story. And that is a theme that you have truly planted the seed early on and just really carried through so consistently in this book. And it is very obvious to me, you know, reading through is that we are all a part of the story. Yeah. And you say it near the end, right? You, you get there and you're very direct with the thing. You're very right. direct because you don't want to leave anything out. And right. you want to make sure your reader has caught that. And then when they may go back again, they say, oh, even though Tunk is here, Tunk is really here. Yeah, yeah. Tunk is here. He's from yeah. here to here. Yeah. He's not just a moment. Right. Even Tunk is a part of a story, man. And you do that so, so brilliantly, like with all of the characters, even Lady Cabbage, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, just to know her personality, there's that fun little side of evil there. There's yeah. that little she, fun she's i mean there are there are a number of dangers in the world oh. of as there are in all of, you know we we get in the car and we go to buy bread and you know cars are dangerous we could we could get run over at the intersection or we could get hit at the intersection so in Cress's new world even though there are animal support systems as it were in the in the apartment tree there are others in the neighborhood there are bears there are foxes there are snakes uh there are human hunters and human picnickers. And there is Lady Agatha Cabbage. Lady Agatha Cabbage is dumb. <laughs> and, and she, she puts on airs. <laughs> I mean, skunks have airs, but she puts on airs in, in addition to that. And uh, she was so much fun to write. I knew uh, she would be for you. I knew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a little a, a little lady Agatha Cabbage in me, I I think. Uh, but I try to suppress. I try to suppress her. I, I'm in therapy. <laughs> but you you can get that through that character clearly. That she's she's a dualistic character. She's a complex character, indeed. She's a complex character. She's lonely. Yes. And she pretends to be better than everybody else, and she really can't manage for herself. Um, and her poor but, chinchilla. And her poor, oh my now, gosh, that you, whole thing. You, you talk about you talk about how a book gets written, and you ask me that question. And if one is confident in one's skills, as after forty-four years of being in print, I have become at least partly. One knows to just follow where one's writing takes one. And so when I on on that page at the it's like about page five or page six, and Lady, Lady uh, Agatha Cabbage, having met the Watercrest family uh, as they're going through the woods, uh, wants to impress them. And she says, notice my pearls, notice my lorgnette, notice my chinchilla. 
I wrote that line, and then I saw <laughs> I saw my handwriting. The chinchilla raised his hand and said, "Hi there." And I didn't know the chinchilla was going to be live until it spoke. And this is this is how I write now. I let uh, I, I one of my um one of my dear friends and mentors in a way was the artist Maurice Sendak. I knew him for thirty five years. You know where the wild things are and all, yes. all those wonderful books. And I heard him speak in public several times and, and we talked on the phone often and I visited him. And he used to talk often about the value of accessing his subconscious when he was in the art of writing a book. And I think I believed that when I was younger, but I think I'm better at it now. I think I'm better at like launching the sail and then really letting the winds take take the pros where they want to go. And I don't try to govern it too much. I govern it later when I go back and edit. But I didn't start out saying, wouldn't it be funny if, there were, if a skunk had a talking chinchilla for a for fur? It just <laughs> started talking. So I said, oh, okay, well, let's, let's see where this goes. This goes. <laughs> but you know, that's the difference to me, where a book has the mind, the book has the heart, but then the book has the spirit. And to me, Chris Watercress has all three. Wow. It has all three. And there are just, there are books that are going to, you know, be the ones that we talk about, sure, forever. We're going to talk about them with our kids and our grandkids. And when we meet at a, at a dinner and we'll say, oh, have you read this book? And then there are others that we've read and we appreciate and they're on our shelves, but they often don't come to mind. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I want to tell you that Chris is will is one that will come to mind. This is uh, one that will stay as an ever present top ten. Oh well, aren't you aren't you nice? I sure no, I sure. it's true. It is so. I am not like. Trust me, I'm not fluffing you up at all because you don't <laughs> need that. It's after your 44 years, you need honesty, as we all do need honesty. And I will tell you what you've done here is simple yet beautiful it is truly a book that matters it really is and I'm just I just feel like I'm a part of this story from here to here because uh -huh. I read it from beginning to end <laughs> because now I feel like I'm a part of this story oh good good well you so belong you, there it's yes. you know the the last chapter is called hereabouts yes and you are in hereabouts. When Which you get could be, yes. After, that's where you are. You're in and you here. could, and hereabouts is anywhere yeah. and everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's where you are. It's where you and are. It's where you are. And it's where the people are around you because they are. We are hereabouts. That's where we are. You know, Madeline Albright died recently, as you know. And I read a wonderful uh, bit of writing about her. I saw her once in Penn Station. I smiled at her. She smiled at me. We didn't. But uh, she was quoted in in a newspaper article that was memorializing her, and she talked about the importance of fighting the good fight in order to keep what was the word uh, to keep faith with life. And keeping faith with life with life is, I think, well, 
let me put that down on my list of things I want to do this week. I want to keep faith with life. And when I decide that I'm going to write a story, I want to keep faith with life in it. I want it not to separate from life, but to join to life. So. And I'm tapping a masterpiece that does that very well for children's literature. And then at the end, what do I write? You write life as a blunder. You just write life. You know, it, there's just so much here to explore. And I hope that you feel like we did not do spoiler alerts today. But, but I feel like all of it together just encompasses just the life lived, a living moment for this rabbit family but this child's life and how also you've listed in here about the gifting, like the mother with the warp, like, and, and my father worked in a textile mill when he was a teenager before he went off to military. So when I saw the warp, I said, oh, there's the warper. My dad was in a big industrial warper. Like mm -hmm. all of the things of this book brought back yesterday so much for me. Oh, wow. Where are you and from? I, yeah. I'm from yesterday. I mean, really, truly just an amazing book. But when you look at coping mechanisms too, and, and all of the things that you gave to children, this is words of wisdom, words of clarity, words of clarity, but words that are like this powerful instrument that will continue to build these song notes in children. So then when they're crafting their song, they have something that maybe can help them make sense of that. And that's sometimes where you get the books where they give you the song notes. You give them the song notes and how to make sense of the song notes. And that's what we need. That's what we need more of. And so just knowing that this started with a conversation that you had with self in a car <laughs> to get to this moment, how does it just feel knowing that it's about to come out next week and everybody's going to get a chance to have this on their shelf? Oh. Well, I have to say, this is, I think, my 40th publication in 44 years. And, you know, I've done about 20 children's books, about 12 or 14 adult novels, and a bunch of uh, picture books and criticism and things like that. But this is definitely one that I think came the closest to the final statue out of the marble is the closest to how I envisioned it in the car. You know, usually you get something that doesn't look anything like it. You think, oh, well, I did my best, you know. But this, this, this hit as more of the notes that I hoped to hit than I'm usually accustomed to hitting. And for that, I'm just proud. And so I want everybody to meet Cress and to, to make her their friend because I, I love her myself. Yes, and I love Chris too. And I truly, when I wrote that, when I sat down, when I finished the book and I sat down to write the review for the book and I had my moment with a blank page and I said, how do you say all of the beauty that can come from reading a book other than this book truly matters. This book is profound. It is just beautiful. And it's like, well, people will read that. They'll say that's the cheesiest thing ever. But then I'm like, no, that's the truth. <laughs> so let me just say truth about Chris 
And Chris is needed today. Chris is needed 10 years ago. Chris is needed tomorrow. Yeah. And, and this is the book. This is the type of book, like I say, is needed yeah. forever. You do mention the wind in the willows near the end and you talk about the badger washerwoman. I was rolling. That's right. That, you know, that's right. That's right. I forgot you know, because some one review mentioned a dim association with wind in the willows. And I thought, where are they getting that? But now you've just told me. I, I had forgotten. But yes, that is a little tip of the hat to to wind in the willows i completely forgot oh, about Graham. and and you know those are the books the wind in the willows you I, I i look at and and i'm sorry to say that i have not read your other children's books but guess what that means <laughs> well that means you're on my list to read every good. single children's book that is oh, in that good. list of 44 years oh well start with start with egg and spoon and uh, and what the dickens because i think those are I mean, I've done, there's some other ones that I'm very proud of too, but those are more recent. And so I think they're possibly more accomplished than some of my earlier ones. Oh, I love to see it all. I'm going to see them all. I will, <laughs> I will have the Gregory McGuire collection, trust <laughs> me, that will then be able to be passed to my grandchildren. Because isn't that what it's all about? Yes. How a book impacts you and how the book carries on. And this is a carry, this is a carry on. So any famous last words for our audience? I know I kept you longer than, than I no. should have. And I apologize for that longer time up there, but I have just been lost in the moment. I have been lost in this opportunity to talk about the power of Chris and how it needs to be there in someone else's hands this week. <laughs> this, this week, yes, this, this week. week. Uh, I think. I think you quoted from it, but I'm going to say it again. You know, we listened to the news this morning. We hear more about Ukraine. We hear about uh, COVID. We hear about uh, political and social justice struggles and struggles for food security and struggles for personal liberty at home and abroad. We hear about all of it. And we think, how can I keep faith with life? How can I keep faith with life? And one answer is to realize today might not be a good day, but it's good enough to keep on. And so that's where I leave you to say, keep on, keep, keep on keeping faith with life. And if Crest can help console you or teach you or make you laugh, then go ahead. <laughs> yes, because you will have all the emotions <laughs> when you're reading, Chris. And I just want to thank you so much for just your contributions to the literary world and all that you've done to just share passion and art and entertainment and the love of words to all of us. So I'm just truly honored to be sitting here talking with you this morning. And well, thank you so much, Jen, and thank you for the good work that you do. Oh, thank and I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of the day. And yes. and don't forget, I know you won't. I know you won't. Don't forget to keep faith with life today. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Jen Lowry writes, as you know, this is going to be my top 10. It's on my top 10 list for life. Chris Watercress by Gregory, please. Get Gregory Maguire's newest book. It is coming out this week. So you do need to grab it, hold tight to it, get ready for living the story and becoming a part of the story. So thanks, everybody. I'll see you guys later.
Now that you've found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it, I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.